It was the first day of the seventh month. And you know what? The people were attentive to the word of God. Now we'll talk about this as we study Nehemiah chapter eight. This is really something. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery. We are discovering the Bible, the world's best-selling book from Genesis one to Revelation 22. Now, Corey and Ryan are here. They're going to tell us what they're doing. I'm going to be taking a look at the gates of Jerusalem and finding out why they were so important to Nehemiah. Ryan? Well, the Bible declares that God through Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. And as you'll see, this proclamation is perfectly consistent with the discoveries of science. Yeah, that's very interesting, Ryan and Janice. A little closer look at some details. Coming up in 25 minutes and Ryan and Corey are coming up in 20 minutes. In five minutes, we're going to be talking about this. This is fascinating. Let's open up the Bible and read what God says. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him, at his right hand, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aneah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah. And at his left hand, Padeah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodijah, Maaseah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabed, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, 9, and 10. There are three chapters there. They're great chapters. Now, I need to say to you that uh, I'm going to try to pronounce some of these names, and the names are a little hard for me. Uh, so I would ask your forgiveness if you're Jewish or 
whatever. <laughs> because I'm trying my best, but we'll, we'll work from there. There's something about the Bible. Did you notice that? There's something about the Word of God. In my experience, there is often a great response to the reading of the Bible, the words of the Lord. It's easy to get used to saying that the Bible is the Word of God, but it's good to really contemplate that phrase. What does that mean, the Bible is the Word of God? Well, the Bible contains words from God. The one who created you, the one who created me, has preserved messages for us in written form. Now, this is a breathtaking thing. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see a revival of the teaching of the words of God. There were about 30,000 to 50,000, there's a big variation there, of men and women who came for the reinstitution of the Levitical ministry of teaching the law. And this was the law of God. And so it's interesting to read about how the Levites helped and explained and translated the law and how the people responded in worship. There's something about the word of God. And this was a key moment in the history of Judaism. Now, I want to say that if you don't have your guide, why not? We'll send you one as a sample. And you can get a hold of yours by writing to us or calling to us or going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go to Bible Discovery TV, click on it. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donation. It keeps us alive. And it'll take you to a page where you can download it as a PDF file, just like we printed it. It's very, very exciting, and it's really great. Today, hearing God, what does that mean? Father, I pray today, as we talk about hearing you, that we would hear you. Help us, Lord, because when we hear you, it changes our heart. And to be honest with you, Lord, I'll be honest with you, my heart needs to change as Many other people's hearts need to change too. Our hearts need to change. We're, we're just surrounded by all kinds of things, Lord, today. Our hearts need to be aligned with your holiness. So help us today, Lord, in Jesus' name, as we listen to the scripture and all of us said together, amen. Now, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women who were all or who could all hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Attentive to the book of the law. Now listen carefully. The first day of the seventh month, the ear of the people was attentive to the law of God. We can talk about what that means the first day of the seventh month. We don't have time now. What does it take for us to be attentive to the Bible? Think about that. What does it take for you and me to be attentive, to actually pay attention and think the Bible is important enough for us to read daily? Only because there's less than 12% who do, who are Christians. Oh, evangelical Christians. 
Interesting. Now we get into some of these names. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purposes, or for the purpose, and beside him, at his right hand stood Metathiah, Shemiah, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Masai, and at his left hand were Pedai, Mashiel, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, the people responded to Ezra by worshiping God in repentance, changing of attitude, changing of thought. We need repentance to begin in the right relationship with God. We need repentance. What does that mean? Somebody said to me the other day, what in the world does repentance mean? It means change. You don't think about sin like you used to think about it. You understand sin is separation between God and you don't want that separation. So you're, in a, you're against sin. Very important. Repentance. Let's read on because this gets interesting. Seven and eight. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shebatai, Hadajai, or Hadajai, Masiah, Kilatah, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read the distinct, they read distinctively from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and the helped them to understand the reading. Very important. The third point. Look carefully. The people patiently waited and listened as the Levites explained what the law meant. We need to be patient and willing to listen when it comes to the Bible. Now, this is a really interesting thing because I was trained as a television producer, first in engineering and then in television producing. And we often trained about how to make things exciting and keep people's attention. You got to do this, you got to do that. You got to make sure that when you break to a commercial, it's 15 seconds or 10 seconds or 30 seconds at the most, and you got to keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. And then I was trained as a pastor, and I realized that it's one thing to keep yourself excited and intention, it's another thing to understand something. If you're going to understand the Word of God, it can't be just keep your attention, keep your attention all the time. It's got to be Listen and apply it to your heart. Apply it to your heart. Meditate on it. Take time with it. Time, T-I-M-E, time. Isn't that great? Take time with it. Meditate on it. And when we do that, God's word comes alive in our hearts, beloved. We need to pay attention, as they did in Nehemiah's time and Ezra's time, when they displayed the word of God, they explained it to the people. And the people listened. 
and the people applied it and they were some of them had to be translated to they applied it to their lives beloved we need to take the time with god's word very very important but a lie is when somebody tells you i know how you'll be happy you buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy you smell like this flower you're going to be happy you take this drug you're going to be happy you buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. Welcome back to the program. My segment today is based on Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, in which Ezra extols God as the creator of the heavens and the earth and all therein. And this really goes hand in hand with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, which says that God through Jesus Christ made all things. And not only did he make all things, but it also says that he's also currently upholding all things by the word of his power. So not only does the Bible claim that the physical is a result of the spiritual, but also that the physical realm is actually being upheld by the spiritual realm. And even though these biblical facts are 100% consistent with the discoveries of science, our modern culture generally denies that in favor of a purely physical and naturalistic universe. But this wasn't always so. As a matter of fact, many ancient cultures believed that there was more to it. So what was it that changed our minds? Due largely to the influence of the so-called Age of Enlightenment, many today maintain that the entire universe is a purely physical entity. The late atheist astronomer Carl Sagan promoted this idea when he said, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. This is naturalism. Ancient man, however, understood that there's both a spiritual and physical dimension. In fact, many cultures believed in a creator. Interestingly, according to the Bible, the physical is a product of the spiritual. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 says that in the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Not only does the Bible claim that the physical is a result of the spiritual, but also that the physical realm is actually being upheld by the spiritual realm. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 records that God through Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. Because of their belief in a creator and a spiritual dimension, some ancient cultures actually attributed the movement of the celestial bodies to spirit beings. The ancient peoples of Europe, for example, represented the sun as being carried through the sky by a spirit horse. When modern cosmologists demonstrated that the motion of the celestial objects could be explained using only gravity and the laws of motion, atheists touted this as a blow against theism. Of course, the Bible never attributes the motion of the celestial bodies to spirit beings. As a matter of fact, God-fearing Bible believers such as Sir Isaac Newton, who was the one responsible for first describing gravity and discovering the laws of motion, just saw this as an advance in our understanding of how the world works. Uh, furthermore, it was due to the starting assumption that there was an intelligent designer who created a logical and ordered universe which led many great minds to discover these fixed laws of nature in the first place. Indeed, where there are laws, there must naturally be a lawgiver. 
While atheism has no logical basis to explain why there are fixed laws, theism can. And many have come to this realization. Theistic astrophysicist John Hartnett explains that scientific laws are a description of the way God normally works within this physical universe. Another theistic scientist, Maria Mitchell, who was the very first woman astronomer in America, said that every formula which expresses a law of nature is a hymn of praise to God. And similarly, Johann Kepler, who discovered the planetary laws of motion, declared that the study of the world and its processes is really thinking God's thoughts after him. It's certainly no coincidence that many branches of science were started by God-fearing men and women. Despite what pop science claims, it's theism, not atheism, that's the key to understanding the universe, as hosts of discoveries have been made with this logical starting assumption. Truly, there is nothing in nature that contradicts the biblical idea that the physical is a result of the spiritual, and the spiritual is upholding the physical. Alright, so while a lot of us today assume that we moderns are the peak of civilization and the most evolved and sophisticated, the reality is, is that we're no better. If anything, I think we're worse. I mean, we tend to think that the ancient cultures were foolish, primitive, and barbaric for their worship of idols and child sacrifice. And yeah, it was very horrible and disgusting. But we're even worse today. I mean, the ancient cultures replaced God with something at least, but today God is replaced with nothing. Nothingness, randomness. And you know, more children are sacrificed today than at any other time in the past through the act of abortion. The only difference is that instead of being sacrificed to some false god, they're being sacrificed to the god of self. You know, humanity hasn't evolved. It's only grown more barbaric, despicable, and evil. We've just kept falling deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, and we've grown further and further away from our Creator God. But it's time to repent and come back to Him. You know, he's waiting for us with open arms, and he wants to restore us. We've never gone too far, and we've never done too much that God will not forgive us if we just ask him to. Yeah, and, and it, we, we do ask him, and it, we ask you, Lord, forgive us of our sin, and help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Because that's very true, Ryan. Very true. Thank you very much. Just a quick note. Uh, the sermons are called The Return. There's five of them on here about the times in which we live and everything going on. I did them in the studio for you. So if you would like yours, the donation, suggested donation is $30. Uh, but whatever God tells you is fine. And you can call us, write to us, or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Corey. All right. Well, I'm talking about gates today because we know that Nehemiah was concerned with rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, but a huge concern of his was also the gates in the wall of Jerusalem. I mean, in Nehemiah chapter two, when the king asks him why he's downcast, why he looks sad, he says back to him, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lied in, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Gates were a big issue for Nehemiah. Let's find out why. City gates in the biblical world had many functions. And if you look closely, all of the functions known from history are demonstrated in the Bible. First, we need to understand the layout of city gates. They weren't just oversized doorways. A lot of planning went into their construction, as their most obvious function was defense. They were a natural weak point in the city wall that had to be fortified. 
double gates were often employed to solve this problem. There would be an outer gate, a courtyard, and then an inner gate. This double gate system created a public space, its courtyard, that was home to all sorts of interactions. The Bible tells us that the elders of a city sat in the gate, presumably the courtyard. Here, the elders were responsible for facilitating and witnessing business transactions, like Boaz becoming Ruth's kinsman redeemer in Ruth chapter 4. And the elders were responsible for delivering legal judgment. In Deuteronomy, we learn how people accused of crimes would be brought before the elders at the gates, and that if the death penalty was given, it was done right there. This is no doubt one of the reasons that Deuteronomy also admonishes the Israelites to write the laws of God on their gates, keeping those elders on target. Public messages could also be delivered at the gate, and 2 Kings 7 tells us that flour and barley were either sold here or their prices were determined here. Interestingly, archaeology has revealed large public buildings close to city gate complexes. These are sometimes interpreted as stables, but may actually be public storerooms where goods could be purchased. Once Israel appointed a king over themselves, he too had a special spot at the city gate. King David has an interesting history with city gates. What may have been his most humiliating moment happened at one. He faked a severe mental breakdown to escape a powerful enemy. He survived, though, which leads to another unfortunate event later in his life. His son Absalom had launched rebellion against him, initiated by stopping people on their way to Jerusalem's gate to receive David's judgment. David reluctantly launched a counterattack after full war was declared. The Bible is really specific in detail here. David stands by the gate while his entire military walks out to battle, then sits in his seat in the gate, waiting. When he receives the news of Absalom's death, he's overcome and leaves the gate to cry, which is a bad sign for the people. Apparently, the king's authority in the gate after war was essential, so David comes back and resumes his place of authority. Excavations at the northern city of Tel Dan revealed a gate complex dating to the 9th century BC. There was a built-in bench, perhaps where elders would sit. But most intriguingly of all, there was a raised platform with decorative stone sockets, likely used to hold the poles of a canopy, a seat fit for a king. Now, it's a really interesting thing to think of the gates of a city as representative, really, as the the life of that city. They weren't just about protection in the city. They were about commerce. They were about worship. We know that worship of the true God and false worship happened in the gates of cities. That's a theme all throughout the Old Testament. So it's interesting to think about that gates were not only a vulnerability physically, but they were also a vulnerability spiritually, and they needed to be places that were healthy physically and spiritually. Just some thoughts as we're continuing you reading through Nehemiah. Yeah, that's very good, Corey. Excellent. Uh, Janice? Yes, today I said, let's look a little closer into the details. And so I chose uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, and we see here that Ezra is asked to bring the law of Moses, and they're going to stand, people are going to stand in front of the water gate, and he is going to begin to read a portion of this 
law of Moses to the people. And now we're going to jump down to verse 5 because I want to focus in on that for some of the details that I thought were very, very interesting. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 5 begins, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people. They had made a platform for him to stand on so that everybody could see and everybody could hear. And when he opened it, most likely scrolls at this time, so when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Three areas here that really interested me. And a lot of what seems to be missing in our reverence to God, who is Almighty God, who is holy. In reverence and worship to God, they stood when His Word or the law was being read. They stood to their feet as soon as Ezra began to read. And then when He blessed the Lord, the great God, it says here, then all the people answered, Amen, Amen or saying, so it is, so it is. They're agreeing, they're speaking it out, they're standing, they're making a physical demonstration of reverence to God. They are standing, they are speaking, amen, they're worshiping with God. And then it says, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So in humility, in humbleness, they knelt before God in worship. Hmm. What a scene. Hmm. What a dramatic scene this must have been. And as we, you know, as we read through uh, this here, it says, you know, down in verse 10, he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's the way it is today as well, Rod. When we take the time to reverence God, to come before Him in humility, to acknowledge who He is, that He is the great God. And when we come to His Word and read it with the authority in which He has given it to us, something changes and we change. And I think it's very important that we don't lose that today, that we understand the holiness of God, the holiness of His Word, and um, that we are God's worshipers. We love Him so very, very much, our almighty and wonderful living God. It's important at the end of the program that we spend some time and pray. One of the things we need to do is God teach us. Teach us how to settle down, put the cell phone away, turn the TV off, remove all distractions, 
And Lord, we need to understand your word because we're aligning our heart with you. So Father, help us today as we read the Bible, as we read the word of God, help us to hear you because you're talking to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen.